morning, everybody. It's amazing that we got rain in August and a great rain. That was just beautiful. We really needed it, especially the hot temperatures and all, but why does it keep rattling? What am I doing? Is that better? Okay. All right. We're good now. Got the thumbs up. All right, we're going we're gonna to take a little bit of a, a, a detour from what we've been talking about the last few weeks. We've had some really good teaching about the Lord's Supper, uh, the meaning of it, the depth of it, the significance of it, and I hope that we'll all really uh, really uh, allow that teaching to, to make our communion time together much more meaningful than just a ritual and something that we do from week to week because that's what we do, but to really impress upon us the meaning behind it. So uh, that's all been very good, and I was told I could speak about anything I wanted to, and so that's what I'm going to do. And so we're going to take a little bit of a detour and a little break from that. Man, I keep hearing, what is that? It's hitting me? Technology. Doing something, I don't know. Okay, sorry about that. Um, You know, ever since COVID-19, coronavirus, whatever you want to call it, has impacted our lives, around the middle of March, I began to notice something in myself. Uh, with all of the restrictions, the impact that it, that it put on us, and, and all the things that are going on around it, I began to realize that, that really I am a, I'm a complainer. I realized how much I complain and gripe and criticize things going on because of COVID-19. And and I, and I got to, I listened to different things and different views on it and whatever, and it just kept getting me all frustrated and, 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 and riled up. And, and I had strong opinions about this, and I expressed those opinions to a lot of people and different ones. And, and I just realized I complained and I complained and I complained. I criticized everything, every decision, everything you hear in the news, I would criticize it. And it just, and I became to realize that that's, that that was almost my initial reaction to things, was that I was a complainer. I griped and I criticized everything about it. And it really, it really struck me. And then one time I was reading, and even before I was thinking about even what to talk on this morning, I was reading in 1 Corinthians 10, and I want to read that now. If you want to turn, I don't have any PowerPoint or anything, so you're on your own. So if you've got your Bible, pull it out, your phone, wherever it's at, and we're going to read 1 Corinthians 10, and we're going to read the first 13 verses. And then we're going to take some thoughts from here, and we're going to look at this whole idea of complaining. And I realized that, you know, I kept thinking, what a weird topic to t- talk about. But I-, I hope that you will see why. I'm talking about this here in just a little bit as we develop more and more into this, to this sermon. I don't want it to be a negative thing. I want it to be a positive thing. It's something that for us to, to grow in, if you will. So, 
If everybody's ready, let's turn to 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, beginning in verse 1. Paul said, I don't want you to be ignorant, my brothers and sisters, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all went through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate, they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. They drank, you see, from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock rock was the Messiah. But God wasn't pleased with most of them, as you can tell by the fact that He laid them low in the desert. Now these things were patterns for us, so that we should not start to crave for wicked things as they did, nor should we commit idolatry as some of them did. As the Bible says, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to play. Nor should we become immoral, like some of them became immoral, and 23,000 fell on a single day. Nor should we put the Messiah to the test, as some of them put Him to the test and were destroyed by serpents. Nor should we grumble, as some of them grumbled and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as a pattern, and they were written for our instruction, since it's upon us that the ends of the ages have now come. As a result, anyone who reckons they are standing upright, upright should watch out in case they fall over. Every test that comes upon you is normal for human beings, but God is faithful. He, will let you, he won't let you be tested beyond your ability, and along with the testing, He will provide the way of escape so that you can bear it. Notice what Paul says here about these people, about the Israelites here in the desert. He said they craved wicked things. That sounds pretty, pretty bad, doesn't it? They craved wicked things. He said they committed idolatry. They were, they were bowing down to false gods. They were worshiping idols. He said that they were immoral. And a lot of times we associate immorality with sexual immorality, but immorality covers a lot of different things. They could have been lying, cheating, stealing, but certainly sexual immorality was very much a part of that because it was very much a part of pagan or idolatrous worship. And so all of this was going on. They put the Messiah, it says, to the test. They tempted Him. They tested Him in a bad way. Those sound terrible. Those sound horrible, don't they? But then notice what he said, that he lumps in with all of that. He said, and they grumbled against the Lord. They complained against God. Now we look at idolatry and immorality and and wicked things as being, oh, you know, those are the big sins. But then we think sometimes that complaining is, you know, it's just something that we do. It's just part of who we are. It's not that big of a deal. It's one of those smaller sins that kind of goes unnoticed and we really don't think about it. But Paul puts them all together in here showing that the reason they were complaining, or the result of their complaining was that God was very disappointed with them. And it said that He laid them low in the desert because of this. Because of all of these things that they did, and he lumps that in with complaining. And so that really, that really caught my attention. And I really started to look. I, I realized how much I was complaining about what's all going on in our society today. And I, I was just frustrated with it, complaining about it, just criticizing everything about it. And then I read this and realized 
how much God is displeased when we complain and we gripe and when we criticize. And that really struck a chord with me. And then I got to looking at, you know what? It's not just me. I began to notice it everywhere. People that I'm around, you hear it in the media, you hear it at work, I hear it everywhere. And it just seems that we are a complaining people in general. We complain. And we complain about everything. Look at your marriage. How much do we complain about our spouse? I'm glad Steve and Tracy worked all of that out. That was good. Most of us haven't worked that out. I don't have any stats and I don't have anything to really base this on other than just a gut feeling and observation. But I wonder how many unhealthy marriages there are and how many end in divorce that if you could trace back their, 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 their evolution of their marriage that it, would, that it began with one or both being critical of the other. They started complaining about things. You know, when you're dating, they do little things and, oh, it's just so cute and precious. And then you get married and it becomes a great source of irritation. And we start complaining about it. And you know, when you start complaining about somebody, especially a spouse, that just compounds and it compounds and it compounds and it creates so much friction in, in that marriage. And so look at our marriages. Look at your marriage. Do you see a lot of complaining and a lot of criticizing going on between you and, and, and your spouse? Parents and children. Parents criticize and complain about their kids. They do this, they don't do that, they're not this way, they're not that way. Parents look at their, or kids look at their parents and they complain about their parents. My parents aren't this, and my parents aren't like that, those parents over there, and my parents do this, and my parents are weird about this, and, my, you know, and, and we just complain and we complain. And you know what that does is that creates tension in the relationship. But it's, but it's there, and it's, it's a big part of, 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 of those family dynamics. And we need to be careful about that. And I get, I've noticed that that's what I do in my own life, in my own family dynamics. Complaining gripe a lot. What about our jobs? I guarantee you just about everybody here is guilty of complaining about your job. We complain about the work. We complain about the pay. We complain about our boss. We complain about the associates we work with. We complain about the policies and the rules that our company puts into place that we have to follow. We complain about the lack of vacation days. We complain about the lack of benefits. We complain about everything. We complain about all aspects of our job. Even those of us who think we have a good job and a great job, we still complain about it because it's not what everything we want it to be. Look at social media. Social media has just opened the door for people to rant and rave about everything going on under the sun. And it's not good. For all the good things about social media, it is a bad place to get on and start looking through because invariably you're going to run into all kinds of of just, just, just ugly kinds of talk and complaining and griping and criticizing that's going on. About everything, it doesn't matter. Read, go on, when, you know when you go to a new restaurant and you read the reviews, have you ever done that? And it's amazing how brutal people can be about a restaurant. But think about that when you go to a restaurant and the service isn't what you want it to be. 
The service is slow, the food comes out late, it's cold, it's not what I ordered. And what do we do? We complain and gripe about it. You see, it's everywhere. It's all around us. Does anybody have any complaints about our government? No. Oh, we complain about government. It doesn't matter if you're Republican, Democrat, Independent. It doesn't matter. We complain and gripe and criticize about all of it. It's a great source. And when you find somebody that has the same complaint about it that you do, well, you can, you can really form a relationship there then. And that's, a, that's an ugly part about complaining and gripping. You find somebody that has the same view as you do, and you get together, and that complaining and that gripping and criticizing just compounds. And man, you are just thriving on it now. You are tearing everything down. You know, we've got COVID-19 going. We've got the horrible incident in Minneapolis that happened and then what spurred the response from that with the protest and then also with the violence and the looting and, the, and all of that going on. A lot of social unrest, a lot of this cancel culture thing going on. And, and regardless of what side of the fence on any of, the, the, any of that that you're on, the bottom line is, is that we complain and gripe about the other side. And we will, we will tear them down and, and we just and we feel good about that. We feel good when I can sit there and when I can tear down this party or that party. And so you see that this this idea, this 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 complaining nature that we have, this characterization of us, it just permeates through everything in our lives. And I got to just thinking, you know what? That's that's not good. There's a lot to complain about. There's a lot to criticize. But is that really our place and our role in life is to complain and criticize about what's going on? And that's what we need to really understand and come to terms with. What about church? What did I do? I got a short in here or something. Okay. All right. I'm not complaining. <laughs> but what about church? We complain about the leaders, the elders, the music, the programs, the teaching. We complain about what we do, what we don't do. We complain about everything. And I guarantee you about every decision that a church leader has ever made in the history of, of Christianity has been met with criticism and complaining. That might be extreme, but I'm pretty sure that it's pretty close to that. But you know what? Because we're not real happy about everything. And when it doesn't go our way... What a great son-in-law. Thank you. All right, here we go. And you know how much church division has occurred through the centuries? Because people started criticizing and complaining about what was going on in the church. 
That's serious. Now, that's one thing to talk about all these other things, complain about society and going on. But when we become to the when it comes to the body of Christ and the kingdom of God, that's the one place it should not. And yet we find so much complaining and griping about what goes on within the body of Christ. And it is very destructive. And it's not a good thing. We've seen it here in the history of this congregation since uh, 1985, I think. You can look back over the history of this church and you can see that there have been lots of times where there have been separation from people because of complaining and griping and criticizing and got to the point where people felt they had to leave. That should never happen. It's not just this church, it's every church. I've, I hear about it from many other people. And that's a very sobering thought and a very sobering thing that we need to consider. Is that how do we approach things that are not like what we want them to be? Do we resort to the complaining and the griping and the criticizing in order to make it, trying to make it better or to make us feel better or whatever our, our angle on that might be? So I hope you will consider that as you think about the things that this church does, the things that this leads, you know, everything that our elders decide on is not going to be met with 100% approval. But you know what? I know that there are men who are dedicated to the, to the kingdom of God and they want to do what's best and they're trying to do what's best for everybody here. Are they going to make great decisions and perfect decisions every time? No, they're not. Is it always going to be the best decision for the, for the moment? No, not always. And they know that. Well, let's give them that latitude. Let's give them that understanding. So that when there are things that are made, when decisions are made, that instead of criticizing and complaining, let's have an open discussion about them. An honest, open discussion about them. And not allow it to fester and, and, and build up to the point to where, you know what, I don't want anything to do with that anymore. I'm going to go somewhere else. We've got to be careful about how we deal with these kinds of things because they are destructive to the body of Christ. You know, what's, what's concerning most of all, I saw in myself, and I think that, you, that maybe you see in yourself, that's up for you. That's for you to decide. But I know in myself that complaining and griping and criticizing are almost uh, the natural response to anything that goes on. That's my natural response is to look at it critically or to gripe or complain about it. And that was very concerning to me as well. Psychologists suggest that prolonged complaining wires the brain to where that becomes an automatic response. Our first expressions about something is in the form of a complaint. You see what that says? Is that becomes a habit. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. This is from a psychologist, Travis Bradbury, whoever he is. I'm just giving him credit. I found this is what he said about complaining and studying that he had done. Repeated complaining rewires your brain to make future complaining more likely. Over time, you find it's easier to be negative than to be positive, regardless of what's happening around you. Complaining becomes your default behavior, which changes how people perceive you. And here's the kicker. Complaining damages other areas of your brain as well. Research from Stanford University has shown that complaining sh shrinks the hippocampus, and I confirm that that is a part of the brain. That's a weird term, but it's a hippocampus. 
an area of the brain that's critical to problem solving and intelligent thought. An area of the brain that's critical to problem solving and intelligent thought. Complaining dumbs us down, is what that's saying. Complaining makes us stupid. It doesn't give us the, the, the tools to find good positive resolutions. He goes on, damage to the hippocampus is scary, especially when you consider that it's one of the primary brain areas destroyed by, by Alzheimer's. While it's not an exaggeration to say that complaining leads to brain damage, it doesn't stop there. When you complain, your body releases the stress hormone cortisol. Cortisol sh shifts you into fight or flight mode directing oxygen, blood, and energy away from everything but the systems that are essential to immediate survival. One effect of cortisol, for example, is to raise your blood pressure and blood sugar so that you'll be prepared to either escape or defend yourself. All the extra cortisol released by frequent complaining impairs your immune system and makes you more susceptible to high cholesterol, diabetes, heart disease, and obesity. It even makes the brain more vulnerable to strokes. Now, you can take that for what it's worth. That's what he said. That was what his study found. That's the negative effects of complaining. But there's even more negative effects of complaining. When we complain, we are tense. We have negative thought processes. We have frustration. With complaining people, there is division and separation. Complaining and griping and criticizing damages relationships. It causes hopelessness and fear and anxiety and depression. Have you ever experienced this? When, you're, when, when you hear a lot of complaining, it robs you of the joy of the moment. Complaining and griping stunts real growth, psychologically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and even physically. And then this is where it gets to, to, to really hit home, and we're going to look at this a little bit more, is it distorts our view of God. Because it causes us to think that God doesn't care, that God is not interested that he doesn't listen, that he's angry, and that he's withholding. And so it undermines our dependency and our trust in God's goodness and his faithfulness. Now in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul is talking about the children of Israel. And he said that these things were written as a pattern or for our instruction for us to go back and look at. You know, this cancel culture is wanting to get rid of everything in our history. Just do away with history. Well, we need, to, we need history because we learn from history. Good, bad, and ugly, all of it, we learn from it so that we won't repeat it again. And that's what Paul is saying here. We need to go back and look at what was going on with Israel and see how this applies to us. Okay, now, when you look at this, 
You go back and read Exodus 14 through 17, read Numbers 11, Psalms 106, and many, and many other places as well, and you will see this story that, that's, that's going on here. But for time's sake, I want to I kind of get to the, to the heart of all of this, is that there in, in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 10, Paul said that they passed under the cloud and through the sea. Now, there's a lot to all of that and a lot more meaning to it behind it than what we're going to get to. But I want to point out that they were under the cloud. And you know what that means is that when they came out of Egypt, after seeing all of those incredible powers of God's uh, displays of God's power in Egypt, all the plagues, how he came and delivered them, how he brought them out of Egypt. And not only did he bring them out of Egypt, with just the clothes on their back, he caused the Egyptians just to flood them with, with, with riches, with jewels and gold and clothes and food. The Egyptians just overwhelmed them with their generosity and they gave it to them. So when they left Egypt, they were wealthy. And God caused that to happen. And they got out into the wilderness and there was this cloud before them. Now, these people had never left Egypt. They'd been there. The Israelites had been here for 430 years. They were enslaved in, in Egypt. They'd never left Egypt. But God said that there is a land that I'm going to take you. It's the promised land that flows with milk and honey, and I'm going to lead you there, and I'm going to give you that land. And so they knew they were heading somewhere. They didn't know how to get there, so the pillar of cloud did what? It led the children of Israel out of Egypt. So they were under the cloud. What did that cloud represent? God's presence. The, Egypt, the Israelites were looking at God's presence with them. Now you have, we really got to understand what they're, what that's, what's going on there. They are seeing this cloud this, by day, a pillar of fire by night. They see God's presence. So they're leading out of Egypt. And we're talking about, I don't know, what's the estimate? Two or three million people, I think it was, something like that. That's, not all, that's just people. All their cattle, and their flocks, and their herds, all of that. So we're talking millions and millions of, of beings that are coming out of Egypt. And they come up to the Red Sea. Okay, and they're camped there. And what do they hear? They hear the, in the distance, they hear the Egyptian army coming after them. And what do they do? Well, they're a little upset about that, right? They're a little fearful. And I would be too. I think that's a legitimate, a, a legitimate uh, reaction to what's going on. Here they are. They're defenseless. And here comes the Egyptian army to, to take them back. And, and so being upset a little bit and being a little afraid at that moment, I think is perfectly fine. I don't think that's the problem. It's how they responded to the situation. The Bible says is that when they saw the Egyptian army coming, they began to grumble against the Lord and saying, why have you led us out of here in Egypt to die? It would have been better for us to stay in Egypt. But even then, God still delivered them. He withheld the Egyptian army. They went across the sea on dry, uh, dry, dry ground. They got to the other side. The Egyptians came through. God destroyed the, the army, their enemy. God's power again displayed before them. Their enemy that was coming after them, God wiped them out. They saw that firsthand. They get on the other side. They're out in the wilderness. We're talking again several million 
beings that needed water. That's a legitimate need. They needed water. And so what do they do? They complained and they griped and criticized God because you brought us out here in the desert to die. We don't have any water. We had plenty of water back there in Egypt. Let us go back to Egypt. That's where we want to go. A little bit later, they get hungry. They need something to eat. What do they do? That's a legitimate need, right? Legitimate need, hunger. So what do they do? They begin to complain against God. They begin to gripe and they begin to grumble. We had all of this delicious food to eat in Egypt. And here you're bringing us out into the wilderness to die. Complaining and griping about their circumstances. And that's what Paul is wanting us to see. Is that these Israelites were not happy in the wilderness. They would rather be in that terrible bondage in Egypt, but yet they had the creature comforts that they craved than to be in the wilderness with only God. And that's an important point that I think Paul's trying to show us here. Is that no matter how, what our circumstances are right now, those circumstances are nothing if we don't have God in our life. You can complain and gripe about COVID-19. You can complain and gripe about the presidential election. You can complain and gripe about the way schools are being done. We can complain and gripe about everything. But the bottom line is, is our trust and confidence in God or is it in all these other things around us? And that's what Israel was dealing with, and that's what we deal with today. In Psalm 106 and verse 13, there in the first 12 verses, he talks about all these incredible things that God had done in Israel. And then he gets to verse 13, but soon they forgot what he had done, and they did not wait for his counsel. And in the desert, they gave in to their craving. In the wasteland, they put God to the test. Then they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe his promise. They grumbled in their tents, and they did not obey the Lord. Don't minimize complaining and griping. It's not a little sin because it undermines God's goodness and faithfulness. Complaining is a sin. And you know what a sin is? Sometimes we think sin is just when I do something wrong, and, and that, it, it, it is that. But it's, it's much deeper than that. What a sin is, is when we are not being the people that God created us to be. God created us to be human beings made in his image and for his glory. When we complain and gripe and criticize, we are not being made in his image, and we are not reflecting his glory. That's what sin is. And that's what Paul is saying here, is that when Israel's purpose was to be a light to the nations, to show forth God's goodness, 
And there's no way they could show forth God's goodness when they complained and griped and criticized about everything in their circumstances. And that's the same thing for us. When we complain and gripe, what we're saying is, is that we don't think God's going to be able to deal with what I've got to deal with. Or that God's not going to get me out of this situation or everything's not going to work out for good. And so it becomes a very serious situation. So what do we do about it? What do we do about our complaining spirit, our compl our, this habit of complaining? Well, first of all, just saying stop complaining isn't going to cut it. You ever, you ever struggle with something and somebody just says, well, stop doing it. <laughs> if you've ever struggled with something, you know just stop doing it ain't going to work. So what do we need to do? Well, first of all, we need to take inventory of ourselves. We need to really look at how do we approach the circumstances of our life. Do we meet those circumstances with a complaining and griping spirit? Is that our initial response? Is that how we handle everything? Because when we do that, what we're saying is, is that when I complain with my mouth, it is actually a reflection of, a reflection of what's in my heart. That's where it comes from. It's dissatisfaction and frustration in my heart that's coming out in my words. And so we need to analyze that in our lives. We need to really look at that in our lives and see if that's an, uh, 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 something that is, is a habit with us in our lives and, and understand that. And you know what a habit, a habit is something that is formed in us. Every one of us are formed in some way or another, through our experiences, through our teaching, through whatever. There's a lot of things that go into it, and we are formed spiritually. We are formed in a certain way. And if you are someone that complains and gripes about things a lot, then you've been formed that way over time. And so for a habit, for a formation to be overcome, you have to deform that, and you have to reform something better. And that's what we have to work on. This concept is what Paul talks about in Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13. Remember he said there that I have, I have learned to be content. Paul was not, he didn't just come content. He had to learn to be content. It was something that was a habitual process in his life that developed over time to where he got to the point that regardless of his circumstances, he was confident in God. We read verse 13 of Philippians 4, for, he get, for, for Jesus gives me strength so that I can do everything. And we apply that to a whole lot of things, but Paul is specifically in the context here referring to developing the habit of learning to be content. And to be content means that we have to trust God, that when I have bad circumstances around me, whether it's in my culture, whether it's in my church, whether it's in my heart, I have to learn to be content and know that God will help me with those circumstances. And so whether I have a lot or I have little, whether everything is good or everything's bad, where everything is joyful or everything is a little heavy right now, no matter my circumstances, I know that God will give me the strength to be able to live through that situation to where his glory will be reflected in my life. 
And that's the whole point of all of this, is to show the glory of God through us in a way that we live our lives, even in the midst of our difficult circumstances, instead of resorting to complaining and griping and criticizing. First Thessalonians, uh, I got ahead of myself. So we need to reform our hearts and our minds. And that takes time, and that, and that is a process, and it takes accountability, and it takes, a, it takes discipline. And so there's a lot of things that go into that. And whether we're talking about a complaining spirit or we're talking about anything in our life that is not what we should be, this is the way we need to deform those things so that we can reform them in the way that God intends them to be done. And so that's what we need to focus on and, to, and, uh, and work on is reforming those habits. And then we need to generate a practice of thankfulness. I will give Connie credit that when COVID-19 first started and we were all quarantined and sheltering in place and doing all these things that we had to do at the time, and I, and I wasn't on board too much with it, but she, she got a piece of paper and she goes, y'all, every day let's, let's put down something that we're thankful for. And she did it. Blake and I didn't. Sorry, Blake, threw you under the bus, too. I, I, I would try to, I'd try to appease her a little bit, maybe do a little bit, but, but, you, know, but, she, but you know what? That, that was a good practice. Wouldn't it be great if everything that happened, your first thought, your first reaction, your first words, were to find what's to be something to be thankful in that situation. The elders make a, a decision, and instead of criticizing, we're thankful for, for, for them, and, and, and we find something to be thankful for that decision that they've made. Whether you agree with it or not is not the point. The point is, can we develop a habit of being thankful in all circumstances? That's what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 18. In all circumstances, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Paul said in Romans 8, if he did not spare his own son, will he not along with Jesus give us everything that we need? We have a lot to be thankful for. Even in our current culture, in the, in the situation that's going on right now in our culture that so can be unsettling, can be frustrating, can be maddening, can be whatever it is to you, there's a lot still to be thankful for. And that's, that needs to be our initial response. We talked about how that complaining can wire our brain to where that becomes our natural response. Well, if we began this discipline of thanksgiving then that can rewire our brain to where our first response will be to be thankful. And that's where we need to be as, a, as individuals, as families, as a church. That's where we need to be. Because you know what? Let's get to Philippians 4, or Philippians 2, verses 14 through 16. There must be no grumbling and disputing in anything you do. That way, nobody will be able to fault you, and you will be pure and spotless children of God in the midst. 
Listen to this. In the midst of a twisted and depraved generation, you are to shine among them like lights in the world, clinging to the word of life. That's why we develop a heart of thanksgiving. That's why we overcome complaining and griping and grumbling, so that we will shine like stars in this perverse and wicked generation. Can you imagine if the body of Christ, I mean, this church here and in churches all across America, if instead of complaining about everything and getting involved in all the social issues and, and taking sides and criticizing and doing all of that, we all came together and began to be thankful to God for what he's doing in Jesus Christ, how that would stand out among the world? Now, it would be met with opposition for sure. It always is. But that's how we reflect the glory of God is that when circumstances hit, our initial reaction is to be thankful. That shows that we are the children of God. We shine like a light in a dark world. And if we ever need that now, we need it now. And I would encourage us all to develop more of a heart and a mind and an attitude of thanksgiving because when it's in our hearts and our minds, it's going to come out in our words. And that's going to build up the body of Christ. That's going to show forth the love of God to other people. That's going to show that we trust him. That if everything was stripped from us, everything was gone and we were in the wilderness all by ourselves, we would still be thankful that God is our father. And that's the attitude that we need to have. These things have weighed heavy on me for several months. And I just wanted to share these things with you. I hope they'll have meaning to you. If you're not a complainer, then you're just sitting there going like, yeah, duh. But if you're like me and you do complain and that's one of your, that's just what, what you do initially, then I hope that this will help us to, to see that we need, uh, we need God's help to change our lives so that we can be the kind of people he called us to be. All right. Thank you for your attention. I appreciate it.